0: When you don't need a single shot to win the game, it's that's so MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Nick Thornton, and with me as always is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing?
1: Oh man, what a what a game! I, I, what a game I hear that is, or or was, or wasn't.
0: <laughs> it, it, yeah, a game of wases and wasn'ts. Of course, we are referring to RSL's just insane. Uh, penalty win over Seattle Sounders. We will get to that. Um, But a a busy week for playoff action. Of course, we saw our beloved Whitecaps depart the mix uh, and a few other interesting results. I wanted to ask you before we dive into all the individual results, out of, you know, what we talked about last time to now, what was the most surprising, I mean... (laughs) can probably guess. Let's say outside of the RSL result, what was the most surprising (laughs) thing to you over uh the the last week's matchups?
1: This may be a little broad, um, but I think that that um and I think you brought some you mentioned at least one one of the players I'll talk about on Twitter. Um I feel that for a lot of teams they will have gone into this weekend and come out of this weekend wondering how did my big offensive players or the big offensive mm. strategies that were working week in, week out, not pay off here. Yeah. Because, you know, you had Ru- you had Raul Ruiz Diaz, I think you mentioned, you know, not able to score in that game. Um, I yeah. think certainly uh, there are other issues with the Whitecaps, but there was very little in the way of interplay between um, Ryan Gold and Brian White. Yeah. Um, the New York Red Bulls they didn't get a lot out of Fabio. It's like, I feel like there are a lot of, there were a lot of teams here yeah, where um, it's not as if we hadn't seen them put things together in the regular season that, you know, you would think might be able to, uh, to, to, to go, but they just didn't, they just didn't uh, launch.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, big players, big moments. Uh, It's talked about a lot. It's sort of a cliche, but certainly I think that was true this week. Um, And we should mention as well there's a couple of pieces of news, I guess, before we dive into the games. Um, Bob Bradley is out at LAFC, which I somehow missed until like three days after the fact. Um, But he is in at Toronto FC as head coach and as sporting director um, as of today, which is we're recording on a Wednesday. So. Uh, kind of a, a big shakeup there i don't know do we count this as a a mls coach getting fired if they immediately get rehired by another mls club like do we, <laughs> do we count that in our co- mls coach firing sweepstakes no
1: no i don't think we do but i mean i think that that's certainly uh there's I, I don't think that anybody that has seen like what has happened with that LA, the last couple seasons in the expectations that they have down there, I don't think that there is it a little bit of jump before you're pushed, mm. you know. Not necessarily that I think that they're, that the you know they were circling the wagons down there, but you know, yeah, I- it had been a couple. It had been a couple lean years for LA in terms of the ty- types of results that they want. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: What was interesting is I watched a bit of the press conference this morning and, and you know, Bob Bradley's obviously never somebody to mince words, but I was surprised at how open he was about kind of what happened at LAFC and, and just how things didn't, you know, kind of went through a tough stretch, but he still felt like they had an essential identity and just, I felt like he had a very measured read on LAFC, Toronto FC, a number of teams in MLS, just really clear and it you know he seems like a guy that's ready for the next challenge um and not as somebody who has you know a bunch of bad blood about leaving his former club and he sort of talked about it as like a a project right like you come in and you build the team and it was a great opportunity and time to do something different and It was interesting to hear him also say how, like, Toronto FC is in a different place. Like, they do have an an identity, and he thinks he can tap into that. So it's not maybe the same project as LAFC. So it'll be interesting to see what his version of Toronto FC looks like, um... I imagine they might be a little bit more stalwart in the defensive side than the smash-and-grab style that LAFC was playing. But we know Bob Bradley likes to play soccer where the (laughs) ball is being moved quickly and he wants fast players. And, you know, I I think it's a great opportunity. It's it's an amazing opportunity for Toronto, who are in desperate need of a good coach. And regardless of what they're able to achieve under Bradley, I think he will lay some, some further good foundations for them.
1: I think that the problem, the problem really is just that that you know this was a team that um, made it to the supporter shield, I, under Bradley. The, I mean, LaFC is, and and like they got right up to the middle. So when I say lean, I'm not trying to say that they that they you know that there was no joy under him. He he got really close. He got that the supporter shield trophy. Got to the semifinals, the MLS Cup. He got uh, playoffs. He got into the the final of the Concacaf Champions League, but they never made it. You know, it always seemed to be sort of one step away from the final. You know, yeah. larger trophy that they were looking for, and and you know, twelfth in the league last year, seventeenth in the league this year. It was. I think it's the right time for for him for. Uh, For TFC, they certainly, I think it's a great time for them. I think it is probably the best for all partners, uh, for all parties, because it's not like LAFC really would want to go out and fire him, and I don't necessarily even think that firing him would be the right move at this point in time, but he gets a fresh challenge. LAFC gets to refocus and and try to, to find somebody that they think can win them games. TFC a club that as you mentioned has has had identity but has really slipped under the past you know two attempted managers yeah um hopefully get somebody who can can motivate them and put them onto that next level because because there's a desire there um is it the is it the case that uh right and that is also the end of Ali Curtis as well right
0: yes yeah he has departed the club
1: as well the 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 GM or, or sporting director or, or whatnot. Um that could be really positive if in in and it's all in the results. We we once again uh since you know for the first time since uh Bradley was the coach of the US men's national team we see Bradley and Michael Bradley um, yes,
0: I love the first tweet I saw about it was it, it, somebody posting a picture of them arriving at the club together and saying it's Take Your Dad to Work Day or something like that. <laughs> I,
1: that I do have I do have a, a Keep, saucy take. Okay, sauce me. I thought I would think before today that you would think that um, one of the jobs of the next TFC manager was going to be to move on from Josie Altidore and Michael Bradley. There's been reporting that's happening with Altidore. Yeah. Um, not necessarily saying that. Not necessarily saying that either of them are like bad. I still love Josie, and I think there's a lot of positive, you know, emotionality with with him. But I mean, like, certainly as it comes to Bradley, that's been a controversial. It's been a controversial thing the last couple of years. He's he's won them a lot of games. There's been a lot of also times where you wonder if. You know, maybe it is isn't time for that sort of relationship to end. And if it weren't that they hired his dad, yeah, I would maybe, I would maybe have thought that this might be a moment to attempt to get something for him, and mm. and and you know, move on with the prospect or 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 try to you know make a transition, maybe what? a one season transition or something. But I don't what? know that that is something that would happen. All
0: good takes. Sauce accepted. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw a little pepper in this sauce, yes. and you know, of of course, the questions in the press conference people asked about like the relation, like you know, what's it going to be like, <sighs> coach your son, and you know, that asinine question. But he actually answered quite well, and sort of said he you was know, like, he's in the tail end of his career. Reason that he's, the, I think, his exact wording was, he's in the back end of his career. And so the question is, what does he want to do? And and what can I push him to do to get the most out of that? And, I mean, he got a little bit into positioning and, and how he, he he could potentially be deployed. I think I heard him mention uh, Michael Bradley's desire to coach as well. So I feel like, you know, in terms of the transition piece, maybe dad's the perfect guy to do it, to, to look to see... Exactly what he said. Like, how do you get the the absolute most and best out of a player who still has something left to give? But we, you know, it's kind of up to the player to dictate what that's going to be. Um, and and I think Michael Bradley responds really well to have to being coached well. And so in that, if you're just looking at it as that, I think maybe this is the right solution, um, where they actually are able to find a transition rather than just sort of see if they can shop Michael Bradley around and then lose the, you know, the one piece that was kind of working for them. Um, Given the loyalty as well that Michael Bradley has had to TFC, I, I feel like they kind of owe it to him to... Um, you know, he, he gave up money to stay at this club
1: mm-hmm. That's and,
0: true. and I think they owe it to him to, to give him some significant minutes, but deploy him in a way that makes sense for what he can do, but also look to coach him in, in whatever that transition is going to be. So if it's going to be coaching, maybe he becomes, you know, the Andy Rose of TFC, um, maybe slightly overstating Andy Rose's impact. <laughs> um, no disrespect, but, um, I, yeah. You're right, it's, it's kind of weird. You'd think that it w- could be an opportunity to turn a new leaf, but I think TFC's probably also feeling like maybe we shouldn't turn the page too quickly on everything here because you know it's probably likely Altador will leave. Um, they've already had a lot of coaching turnover. Maybe the best thing to do is hang on to Michael Bradley for another <laughs> season and work you know, iron out what the direction is going to be before moving on. Cause I think that I think that's can it's a hard position to replace. It's it's much, it's much harder to find a player at that level than people think it is.
1: I think that's consistent with my thought with my thinking process in terms of. I don't mean that he has to go now, right. but I think that that I that, but managing that process, you know, it's e- as easy as it is to have him make sort of this this gentle transition to a player coach who plays less. Um, it is also easy is. Is possible to imagine him occupying a, a, a key place in in the team's midfield well past the sell by date? Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean trade him right now. I just mean that sure that I think that that is like how to manage that transition is on the top of uh and on the top of the list. And it sounds like from those answers, those aren't bad answers. And if sure. if, if people have have um. if people have confidence that that's going to be handled well, that is, that is positive.
0: Yeah. And you'd have to imagine as well with the additional sporting director role for Bob Bradley, like this, that to me signals they want him around for three or four years. This isn't a, just a two year gig kind of deal. And we'll I mean, obviously there's always the, the, the trial Mm -hmm. period, but this signals to me that TFC is putting a great deal of trust in Bob Bradley to manage the club for, uh, more than just a couple of years.
1: Yes. Unfortunate for for Javier Pérez, whose, whose uh, term was interim. Uh, time is the interim manager ended with the one nothing loss of Montreal in the Canadian Championship final.
0: That's right. Unfortunate, but I thought, you know, really good for Montreal to get something out of this season, um, if not in MLS, then in Canadian Championship. I, I felt like... Uh, You know, what Nancy's done with Montreal, I've overall liked. I still think there's obviously a lot of improvements needed, but I've liked them. And I I think that they've played compelling soccer at times. So it's a nice little feather in the cap for them.
1: Let's talk playoffs. You kidding me? Talk about it. Uh, It's been... uh, We had that first round. In some cases, I don't want to say that all of the games have been like this, because they haven't all been like this. But the first... You know, the first game, well, other than uh, the first game of the weekend was that Philadelphia New York game, and the last game of the weekend was that RSL game. And neither of them, both of them featured uh, a a, a wildly low goals to minute ratio. Uh,
0: Yes. (laughs) There was a lot on offer in the playoffs so far, and we would accept nothing less from MLS. Uh, Chaotic neutral seems to continue to reign supreme. Um, where do, where do we want to start here? Do we want to start with uh, d- the first game and start with Philadelphia New York?
1: Let's start with Philadelphia, New York.
0: I mean, um, beefy, <laughs> beefy, beefy. Yeah, uh, this one was a, a pretty tightly contested affair. Um, I love the highlights package of this. Is like they show an early chance. I think around like the thirteenth or fifteenth minute. And then it just skips ahead to the 82nd minute. So...
1: <laughs> the just, announcers... I had ahead. this on... I had this uh, the replay on of this game um, because I knew what the end was but I didn't know what was happening in the middle. And the announcers are just saying, I have never seen anything like this <laughs> in terms of the amount of... Just sort of like intense physical tackling. Yeah. Um, just uh, just an utter slugfest of the game. Uh, Philadelphia had once you start getting into the added uh, sort of the extra time, I think that you know both of the both teams came in really um, athletically or yeah. trying to, trying to have that that, that intense athleticism. but um, Philadelphia had more chances in 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 the extra time periods and it really seemed that they were they were closer. There was a if I recall a disallowed goal, Previous to mm-hmm. the 124th minute, <laughs> when Jacob Wesnes scored in second half extra time stoppage time, to, extra uh, time Davidian stoppage ahead.
0: time, like literally <laughs> seconds away from penalty kicks, everybody's sure it's going. I love somebody put out a video. I don't know if it's a, a official Philly account or if it was a fan's video, but from pitch level and you hear. Like, Glesnes gets the ball, and you hear the crowd just go, shoot! <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's that's what makes that so magic. It was a really amazing moment for Philadelphia. And, like, let's talk about this goal as well. It's um, great. It could be easy to be like, okay, a, a, a game-winning goal in those dying seconds, like, what does that really tell you about the game? And it doesn't sound like a very exciting game. But <laughs> Glesniz really made up for it because... <laughs> He kicks this ball like he hates it, and it just <laughs> astounding power on this kick that goes in literally the dying seconds. I feel like overall, Philadelphia had the better game um, through the 90. Yeah, I think it's pretty even. Uh, Red Bulls were not without their opportunities, but they certainly weren't many. Um, in at in, in a time, uh, Red Bulls, again, had a couple of chances, but... Uh, I just still felt like this one was always tipping towards Philadelphia and not just because, you know, they I think they were the favorites coming in, but because they just... They can be so defensively rock-solid and they can just frustrate opponents for, <laughs> I mean, clearly 120-plus minutes um, before doing the damage. So... That means Philadelphia moves ahead to the conference semifinals. So why don't we jump over to? Or
1: did you want to? W- do we want to say anything else about this game? I did want to talk about the goal uh, as well, just because you had okay. mentioned it. But it's this. It's this. Um, you had mentioned. You know, it isn't just easy to hit it from there. And I mean, that's the funny thing, is that like. You could kind of say that Gleison has had a lot of time to line it up. It's a half volley. He is, is able to get exactly where he wants it. He's able to extremely a-dupe it in. Um, but I, it, it's one of those ones where you you look at it sometimes and you think, man, if it's just that easy to stand in that spot and, and 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 wheel away the goal, why doesn't why don't they do? Why doesn't everyone do it? Uh, yeah. But but it's partially the combination of. You know, um, the pressure is going forward. Um, there's no, there's low pressure in that spot because he's a defender. <laughs> and it's far away from goal. So um, it's not easy to hit. The, I, don't, I don't think it's that easy to hit that ball from that position. But he just was in the exact right place at the right time. The timing was perfect. Coming in on the half volley had not only did he have a lot to put on the ball, but also the, you know, the ball is coming at him relatively uh, sprightly. Yeah. Um, perfect.
0: Yeah, it's it's literally the perfect goal. <laughs> Just <laughs> amazing result for them. Um, elsewhere in uh, things, Nashville faced Orlando. Um, you know, we t- we talked about this one last time, and I think we, we favored uh, Nashville slightly, but also thought, like, if, if a team can get past them, it's probably Orlando. Um, they have the the shooting power, but they just couldn't really get this one going. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like this was one of the more sort of less competitive ones, shall we say. Like it, I, d- despite the fact that Daryl D.K. does score the opening goal in this one, um, and I, I thought Orlando gave an okay account for themselves, but overall... Uh, it sort of felt like once Nashville got this first goal through Mukhtar which was another just like I'm deciding to score now kind of goal I didn't really feel like this one had all the, the markings of a, a classic playoff meeting
1: I think that um, the the real story there is the difference between the first half and the second half because yeah. because DK does score first and Mukhtar, once Mukhtar ties, I mean there's not as much going on in the rest of the first half but I still think that that Orlando is is pretty competitive and and I wouldn't necessarily think that you would go into that halftime thinking that Orlando is out of the game or that Orlando is being dominated or anything they no, they had no, 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 more no. possession over the course of the the night. Yeah. But in that second half they simply could not put it together and though and the great movement with the the uh, the great run and pass from CJ Sabong to set up Mukhtar, who is able to set, um, you know, run for, have a great end run to score his goal in the second half. Yeah. And then they are just able to, Cadiz is able to just murder it in the last, uh, in the, in the end of stoppage time. But even before that, like this is, this is, I wouldn't say that the previous, you know, 10 minutes to that would have given you a lot of hope. I don't think you would have no. been. I don't think you would have been in there thinking, um, before that goal. Oh, we were so close to scoring.
0: No, and and yeah, like you're right. Nashville or uh, sorry, Orlando did have opportunities and and some looks at goal and better possession through it. Um, I also I felt like Nashville approached this one a little bit too casually. Obviously, the the early goal by DK was kind of uh, I think avoidable. And and through much of the first half, just sort of allowing Orlando a bit too much in the game, um, maybe just a, a bit of nerves on Nashville's part. Obviously, the, the goal unsettled them for a spell. But once they found their way back in, yeah, I just thought um, it didn't... After that point, it didn't really look like Orlando was going to be coming back from it. Um, and speaking of big players and big games, I mean, Nani did come off the bench in this one, but I thought was... You know, obviously, the player that he is on the pitch, great. But in terms of impact on the game, I—I I mean, I not what you want, not what you want, and 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 didn't have that feel of like, okay, Nani's coming off the bench, this is it. It just, it never really came for do them.
1: He, do we know why he didn't start?
0: Um, I don't know for sure. I mean, I would assume it. Was a either tactical decision or maybe just a like let's not run him the full ninety minutes, um, and maybe that was with an eye to potentially having to face Philadelphia, um, that they they might need him in a second game. But no, not sure. But I I mean I don't know. I feel like if you're an Orlando fan, you're you're obviously disappointed. But I, I Nashville is a great team. Um, they got a goal overall. I think the Orlando-Parehab era is is going well um, and probably just needs some, some tweaking to things. Defensively, they've had their issues still, um, but they've got goal scorers for days. They've got speed. Uh, I like their midfield. I, I don't think it's all bad for Orlando. Um, it was good for them to get in, but I don't like... Yeah, let's face it. None of us were really thinking that Orlando was going to be able to overturn Nashville in this one without everyone showing up and playing their absolute best. And I I don't really feel like that's what happened for Orlando.
1: No. Um, Wasn't the worst, but wasn't the best. No. I felt that... uh, Do we want to talk about uh, Atlanta, New York City? Sure. Let's do it. Feels uh, Feels pretty open and shut on that case. Uh, you you just de- you just definitely had you know the while there was the opening in the first half to try and do something neither team uh capitalized and then two quick goals from New York and it really felt when uh when Franco got sent off in the 93rd minute, minute he throws his hands up and goes what can you do and yeah. i feel like that's kind of the atlanta position on this game
0: yeah, that, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Yeah, really not much through even the first 35 minutes. Uh, I think there was a, a couple of half chances maybe for both sides. Um, New York City FC did have a goal overturned offside just before the half. I really The strangest goal of the playoffs is this shot from Castellanos that just... I don't even oh, know yeah. if he really gets much purchase on it, but it just bounces in a, this most bizarre sort of big arc and then bounces in with everyone watching and I'm not sure if I was on the pitch I would do anything other than just be watching it too. So the keepers um, think
1: it's going over the bar, right? That's how it happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's looking because it goes so high it looks like it's going to be going over and then it just all of a sudden drops and I think bounces like on the goal line and in. Um, just a weird one. Forgivable I think, but a crucial moment not the kind of goal you want to be giving up in the playoffs. And then I think the there's maybe six or seven minutes later, Morales fires it in. It comes off Guzan, Collins finds it and buries it. As you say, two quick goals in quick succession. Um, Atlanta I thought had a couple of chances. Joseph Martinez probably with the best one, but really nothing to trouble Sean Johnson. Um, yeah, it probably disappointing for Atlanta fans. Um, I don't know if if people thought they were going to see the best version version of joseph martinez in this one but i mean it's also it's new york city fc they've had a great season they're a very strong club they will now be going on to face new england of course the the team that had a bye in the first round um and i'm excited i think it's going to be a, a really great matchup um again i feel like Atlanta's. S- similar to my assessment of Orlando. It's like, it was good of them to scrape into the playoffs and I'm not at all surprised they're not advancing.
1: Because of the, the like, the brand of Atlanta, I'm sure there was some, you know, excitement from the league when they got in, but because, because of the thought, well, anything can happen now that they're in here and, and, and you know, you could put Joseph Martinez in your, uh, in your terrible um, uh, Ted Lasso illustration. And you can you, yeah. can, you can, and you could say like because this is this has perennially been a, a, a contender in the last couple since since the entry into the year the league, really, you know, to gangs, one of the important members of the gang is here, um, but it just doesn't match up with how they were playing coming into the playoffs, and, yeah, and that showed here.
0: It sure did. All right, shall we go uh, go over to the west and check in on things there?
1: Let's talk about our, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Sporting Kansas City, Vancouver. I did get a chance to see this one. Um, I was getting ready for a wedding, uh, but it, but, uh, but it was, uh, and unfortunately I walked in just as Sporting Kansas City scored. Sorry, everyone. <sighs> sorry. It was everyone. you. It might yeah. have been me. I'm told it was, I'm told it was me. I was uh, I was out of town
0: and I was I was kind of like pick I was just tuning in on my phone through uh, my um, data every once in a while just to sort of check in and I, I think I also tuned in just after that first the first goal so sorry everyone uh, this is
1: our public apology for ruining it
0: don't mind us uh, Kyrie Shelton just hammers one home in this one I mean uh the game was a while ago so if I don't feel bad about sort of loosely summarizing it but like come on you know it was good of uh, Sartini to to goose up the players and be like SKC we've already beat them like it's fine like I get that Sporting Kansas City is sort of feigning the like that's disrespectful but it's like his team is the clear underdog backs against the wall nobody expected them to be here I, I think he went out with exactly the right mentality for the club to just go for it um, but but do so as wisely as they could. And what we saw was what we've seen a lot of times these two teams have met in the past, and that's Kansas City's a better team. I yeah. mean, d- like, I don't know what else to add to that. They're, they're better. Um, where they're positioned as a club, they have more depth. Um, they've got more goal scorers. So I'm not terribly surprised or <laughs> disappointed at the result. I had really hoped for a goal, which we got in the 39th minute through a great... Uh, Dahomey goal which was good um, a late effort by Brian White um, and then Cavallini gets a goal called back so I feel like you know we went there we didn't make it easy for them but our our marking I thought was a little bit lackadaisical and you just you can't do that against Sporting Kansas City I, I felt like we'd had that one figured out but apparently not I'm curious um,
1: what happens if, if that um, I'm curious what happens if that First half stoppage time goal doesn't go in, mm-hmm. um, because I feel that maybe if there had been more confidence or or something in the, in, I'm sure that that if it had been tied going in, there's a thought of like, oh, we're a second half team, whatever. But oh, I, the
0: the Ishmail <laughs> goal. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, I think that there, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I thought that that offensively. We had been able to make work What had been working the last couple of weeks And I actually kind of think That the reason for that And one of the biggest problems the Wakecaps encountered and, and it'll be an offseason problem Is the continuing problem Of trying to figure out What is happening with the defense Who is starting And what is the position of starting it in yeah. At one point in the second half While you're chasing the game They switched from three defenders at the back To four defenders at the back That's not when you make that (laughs) adjustment. No. That's not a
0: good... I agree. No, it's it's a great point. I I totally agree. And I, I feel like it's... I mean, I get that the changing personnel can happen, but I don't think it's too unreasonable to say that the most successful MLS clubs defensively have a pretty consistent starting four, with a couple of exceptions. Um... Seattle plays great with three at the back, and they are
1: also out of the playoffs. So, like, <laughs> um, I think I no, think it's I, consistency, consistency, or four at the back. I think that that you can have three at the back, but to have three at the back and then to have your single center back, um, to have your single center back essentially sort of like a game time decision. Like, I I was led to believe, I guess, through commentary for what I've heard that. That that our best guess as to why Javante Brown did not start was because he had been out. At, at, he, he had been a part of the international break, and there was concerns over fitness. Mm, right? You just, I just don't think you can make those calls <laughs> in the playoffs. I don't think you can. I don't think your your only center back is a position where you can be like, mm, well, we might as well just start this guy instead.
0: Yeah, and that's where I wonder about you know. I feel like it's probably fairly done and certain now that Vancouver will be permanently hiring Sartini. But you know, I'm I'm not without questions about this probable hire. Um, and I think, yeah, you're right. And this, this was kind of an example that we we have seen. Now, overall, obviously, it got them into the playoffs. Well, well yes. it it maybe didn't. They got into the playoffs in spite of these defensive issues, right? Um. But I, I'm sort of pining for the days of, of you've got your two starting center backs and then you've got your two full backs. Like I, I just feel like Vancouver is able to make that work well. And I get why they're doing it, because it gives you an extra player to go forward, and God knows Vancouver needs that. But I think you can make personnel upgrades as well so that you're not forced into just playing in that formation, which are, there's going to be certain times it does. But again, if you're going to do it... Who's going to be your center back to lock that down? And, um, yeah, I I think maybe the system is getting close, but it's it's the exact personnel and the, those exact positions, but also, yeah, you're right, a little bit of the tactics as well.
1: I think that like one of the main reasons to have four at the back. I'm not as I'm not as locked into it as as you seem, you know, to a certain not necessarily like four or against, but just you know saying that, yeah. That, that I can I can go a little bit um, either way. I think the number one reason to do do it for the Whitecaps is because the Whitecaps traditionally love to have speedy fullbacks that join the rush.
0: Right. Yeah. And- exactly. Yeah. If I don't feel like you're utilizing, uh, I mean, we've seen Jake Narwinski working as that uh, sort of right center back um, works quite well, um, or left rather. Um, but I, I still think he plays – I think he plays his most effective soccer as a fullback, um, defensively anyway. Yes. And, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, yes, there's different combinations of things that can work, but it's it's the changes in when you're making them, right? I mean, we've seen this happen with um, Veselinovic before where he's getting subbed in in, like, the 60th minute or – late into a game and I and I agree, those just aren't good substitutions to make. I'm fine with a defensive substitution, but not if it's changing your formation. <laughs> like uh, a player needs to know exactly where they're swapping in. Um there's very few times where I favor changing a defensive formation in a game and unless you really are hurting. But if you've just got to go for it, then I I don't get
1: it. It's gonna sound given that we're we're so, you know, harping on this 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 point that relates to coaching i'm not necessarily you know more against sartini than i was before i think that he was making these sorts of calls earlier in the white gaps yep. being you know uh punished for it and they did have things working for them and this is an occasion um when it didn't work i think that that it would have been a liability either way and, and as we talked about last week it's like that will be one of the things that you think about when you're, when you're going through this job application process, you you made very clear to not make it any contingent on one thing or the other. I am curious to know, um, with the coaching carousel, I wonder what this, I wonder what is going to be uh, thrown into motion with this, Bob Bradley situation because somebody is going to have to get hired at LAFC. And if it's somebody in the league, someone else is going to have to get hired there. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. You and there was some, some discussion about, um, about Tata Martino. Yeah. Um, Between you and me just discovering, discussing what might happen with him in Mexico um, we could talk about that a little later about the Mexican team. Um, the uh, if yeah, you know, no, okay. I, he he would be a choice at LAFC if if there is discontent with his you know position in Mexico. Although I think it's too early to consider sacking I, him from that position. Pers-
0: personally, I do as well. But I I mean, I think my point was just that. Um, I think there is a lot of pressure on him. He's not performed well. Like, just looking at the results, he obviously didn't have answers against the U.S. or Canada a number of times. Um, I think his job is probably more on the line than maybe we think. Um, And I, I don't think that's necessarily the right call for Mexico, but it could mean for a number of MLS clubs that if they're willing to shell out the money... Um, they could be getting a, a very powerful coach coming their way. But as you say, it's the cascade effect, right? Like um, when one person moves and there's a vacancy, it, it, then you have to start to think, well, you know, there's other clubs in MLS without a coach who are probably also looking at Vanny Sartini going, well, here's a up-and-coming coach who was able True. to do, do something there. He's not locked in, you know? He, he's on a temporary contract. So the other interesting thing for the Whitecaps head office is – you've got a decision to make. Is this a coach you want to invest in and make sure you get the absolute best of? Or now that his profile has been raised, he became something of a bit a media darling, which doesn't necessarily mean he's a more serious coaching candidate. But you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. there's enough behind him that I'm like, look, he's the one that's in the bargaining position. So if another club approaches Sartini, you know, the Whitecaps are going to have to make a compelling offer. And, um... We just have no idea what other clubs might approach Sartini and and maybe want his services, and then it kind of opens up the whole thing again. It's the rare time,
1: I think, when uh,
0: I'm not saying the, I think that's likely it's to happen. Just possibilities here.
1: It's the best possible mark. It, it's a it's a great market for both parties.
0: It's a Vartini. It's a Vartini. Sartini market right now.
1: There's there's it's it's great. There's there's interest in him. And I think there's a lot of people being knocked loose. So I think it's smart on both parties to not necessarily have made a decision in the in the booze soaked euphoria of the, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of the of the of 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 having uh of having the, made the playoffs.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Um the elsewhere in the Western Conference, we had uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was in any way the same that, that Minnesota, uh, as um, either Sporting Kansas City or New York City's win, that in terms of being a sure thing that Portland was going to take this one um, against Minnesota. Because, you know, you have Fran-Japan, uh with the first goal, and then, you know, Mali uh, Mabiala uh, evens it up by the halftime. Um but I don't necessarily think you come out of that thinking Portland look great and they're definitely going to win this.
0: It, mm. However, <laughs> however,
1: Sebastian Blanco.
0: Yeah. Well, and so last week we sort of asked the question, like which Portland Timbers will we get in the playoffs? Um, and despite a sloppy first half, you know, um, uh, uh th- the, the second half just sort of took off for them and we saw Portland do what we know Portland can do because um, it's uh, Blanco who capitalizes on a, another poor Minnesota clearance a uh, topic that we've talked about a lot this season um, <laughs> I would also say that like Blanco pr- probably should have been off I thought that there was uh, a pretty clear shout um, but I think Blank yeah I think a Blanco avoided one. He comes in really hard on an early challenge in the first half. I forget the player that it's against, but he's going in studs up both feet leave the ground. Uh, he doesn't make a lot of contact, but he's incredibly lucky to stay on the pitch. Um and that's a key sort of decision I think in this game. But that being said, I think Portland also just kind of goes for this one, and and we know what happens when Sebastián Blanco is able to be on the ball. And finally, when we talk about big players, big moments, we have a player that delivers. Um, I just he played outstanding. While
1: clutching his back, <laughs> making, looking like he was uh, walking, out walking, uh, you know, the walking wounded. Um, I <laughs> I also I feel yeah. like one of the problems. He, of course he looked great I think I was on that first goal the first goal where he um where he you know pickpockets Minnesota I was shocked that Minnesota never came yeah. back you know I feel that both Blanco and the and yep. the the runner the person who who got the assist who uh that would have been van Rankin I think on 66. um they yep. have a long time so that was the second goal they have a long time to make that run Before they get there And it's almost mm-hmm. as if there's this Just this, this feeling I don't know if they think Well he's going to lose the ball So we shouldn't collapse so that we can Continue the counterattack. Except nobody is challenging him So there's no reason they're going to lose the ball Well
0: and this is the thing I'm glad you picked out this moment Because it's like you're in the playoff game You're down and you're letting Sebastian Blanco run for 30 <laughs> yards at your neck. And he's not even running. He's just dribbling. He's just dribbling through. He's not even sprinting. And how many times this season have we talked about Minnesota midfielding, ne- midfield needing to step up and make a challenge and and push a little bit more? And it's just been too easy and too passive from them. And this is the perfect example that you just, you can't do it. I I kind of felt like for the the grievances that Minnesota has in this game, which I think are fair, what was really on offer from them? Um, We should also mention as well, the thing that sort of framed this game as well is that Minnesota's uh, backs were against the wall right from kickoff because Tyler Miller Uh. tested positive for COVID. So he was out and Dane St. Clair was in, who I thought did well under the circumstances and ultimately I think it would be disrespectful to Dane St. Clair to say, Like, oh, that's the thing that, um, you know, did it for them. But I think mentally, of course, losing your starting goalkeeper uh, right before a match, you know, there's a a 48-hour notice, basically, that they have that Tyler Miller is not going to be with them, I think does have a a mental impact on your team. But I've seen Minnesota play like this before this season, you know? Like, it it didn't look like a a shocking performance from them. And... You know, although I was high on my estimation on them early in the season, you know, to me, the proof is out there on the pitch of, of they've, it just has felt casual and, and not always fully committed from all 11, um, at times, despite having some amazing players, um, you know, a a player
1: like Reynosa was in this and and pretty quiet too much of it. Um... You know, it wasn't necessarily like the best stats-wise performance, given that he had the one save. But, um, but it was great to see him in there. I when you, when you think about this goal in terms of like what, how the the impact of changing the keeper, I think you're definitely right. No one wants to change their game plan the game day before a game. Nobody wants to be missing a piece they were counting on. Um, I definitely when I think about that second goal, I don't. I definitely don't blame the defense. And, and I see this moment of um, this moment of things I can't remember which center back but on one of the center backs as he sees the players go through where he realizes like somebody has to be going here but I can't leave you know what I mean like, like I, I don't blame the defense for that I wonder in terms of the goalkeeper if he had been a little bit more confident if he would have thought well I can leave ultimately it's the ultimately yeah. it's the midfield's job the defender the defender not breaking off from the defenders not breaking off from their their positioning is not wrong yeah. I wonder if they might have felt more adventurous if they had a little bit more rapport um, but ultimately I think it was the right move and, yeah. and they were let down both uh, parts of the defensive puzzle were let down by the fact that there was just a huge open space between the lines
0: yeah, and and I don't think we can blame Dane St. Clair for that. You know, like he he can only do so much, and the whole point of having a team is players <laughs> stepping up. And you know, I thought Dane St. Clair yeah. stepped up and did his job, um, and and the players in front of him didn't didn't really help him out in the way that he needed. And I know that people are going to be like, "Oh, sure, you're going easy on the Canadian kid. Like, of course, it's everybody else's fault." Correct. Yes, yeah. he had a few. Uh, <laughs> bumbling moments I'm not saying it was crystal clear and also you <laughs> damn right get out there's the door um and then in a similar fashion just bef- you know the day before I think um or was it even day of I can't quite remember it, oh yeah it was literally hours before RSL in Seattle kickoff. we find out Albert Rusnak is out due to COVID and I think knew who was as well I'm I, not 100% that, sure but that, that uh really? Let me double-check New Who, but Ruznak for sure. So, like, literally
1: that right sucks.
0: before kickoff or, you know, hours before you lose your captain, you lose your best player. Um, and you just, like, for me, obviously, I wasn't thinking, like, okay, RSL's really going to, this is going to be a good, solid, competitive game. I thought it might be fun and interesting, but I thought I was thinking, like, this one's ending 3-1 for Seattle kind of deal. And then with Ruznak, I'm like, well, this is just going to be basically target practice. Because he's he's just so critical to RSL. And I don't mean to disrespect RSL. They've fought like hell to be here. And clearly, <laughs> like, they know what they're doing. But um, a massive, massive loss for them right before kickoff. And, um, yeah, it, un- unfortunate. But sometimes... You know, greatness is forged in adversity, mm. as we see. So I, I
1: did, uh, what was, what caused the, without talking about the shootout, what caused this in, this, how did it get so far? How did oh, we get, how did, how did, did get this, to go this go so, so far without, uh, without any changes? No shots of any kind, on on goal or otherwise, from RSL. Yeah. How did they just, like, wh- how did they get to the the end of the game here? Like that, without conceding.
0: <laughs> I feel like they might be asking themselves the same question this morning. Um, but I think it was a couple of things. I, I think, first of all, defensively, t- tactically, they clearly did their homework and they knew exactly what they needed to do in order to draw Seattle in to and not quite invite the attack but not be afraid to get stuck in and play a defensive game. We know that RSL can where we see them I think struggle is it's transitioning out of that into their attacking play that they want to play and then they get hit on the hit on the counter. Um but they're just able to stifle Seattle's creativity here and some of it it's like by hook or by crook it just <laughs> like sheer force of will last minute challenges players hustling to get back like truly all of the cliches rsl showed up for each other they ran their asses off i don't think there was a single player on the pitch that didn't play well above their levels um and in terms of a team and and players showing up in big moments i i felt like yes, RSL looked like they were going to bend and they did bend and almost broke a couple of times, but they were able to just hold on. And I think a couple of lucky moments also like the soccer gods were smiling on them because Rui Diaz almost has an incredible Galazzo that just clangs off the the posts and you know, any other game, any other week Rui Diaz is putting that in. Uh, Jordan Morris had a couple of chances like, uh, Christian Roldan as well like it, Seattle came to this one and and I thought played good soccer not the best Sounders performance you'll ever see but it was it was good this was still a a very strong Seattle side yes they also were forced into a last minute change I didn't see Nuhu on the player sheet and I I'm just going to go with yes he was out because
1: of covid protocols um but health and safety protocols I saw in a uh, I saw in an update yeah
0: and I, you know I I saw um I I thought the back three did well. Um, Kellen Rowe stepped in on the right. I thought he had a couple of of not-so-great moments. Um, Specifically, of course, he had his penalty saved uh, by David Ochoa, which then meant RSL could take it all. And on the sixth penalty kick, trading goals back and forth, are...
1: That was a great. That, that was quite an interesting shootout.
0: It certainly was. All all goals, all the time until bad guy David Ochoa stops one. And Kellen Rowe.
1: Well, yeah, Ochoa. I, I wonder if it was more as much like this in the first half, but Ochoa with one of those uh, those Steph LaBeque-esque um, performances in goal, just uh, just jaw jacking away. The commentator said. Housery on commentary because they couldn't say shithousery. Yeah. Um, the, uh, which I mean, that word shows they've been reading Twitter. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the, sorry, I, well, I've never seen it. So, I also yes, just wanted yes. to say we should give,
0: uh, props to Justin Glad for burying that goal that did finally go oh, in. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, all the goals went in until the well, Kellen Rowan, but
1: that's the one that Yeah, I was going yeah, to, I was going to sort of lay that out where it's like this is one where I feel like Stephen Fry made, uh, he has his hands on one of them he, he he saves one but he's incredibly off the line so that's not not, not, not necessarily a huge problem um, I felt that the Lodero one was touched by Ochoa um, but was able to go in in and, and, and just great penalties yeah. they have Rui mm-hmm. Diaz I love that, that Seattle puts Rui Diaz on first and RSL puts on last uh, a guy who's never taken a penalty. This that's a, like this is this this is the
0: like that's so MLS playoff <laughs> game because it's just it shouldn't have happened Marco and Silva. somehow it did. I literally I, I got to start tweeting out my receipts more often because I literally before this game thought like if I had the money I would totally just put a thousand dollars on RSL <laughs> because I bet the odds are insane. I have not looked to see what I would have made, but um, of course, who could have predicted this one?
1: Um, Definitely something I want to say about the Kellen Rowe save. Yeah, if we could do it. Um, so we we mentioned that Fry was well off the line. I I zap rooted the you know, a save on Kellen Rowe. I went. I, I I was like looking at the frames, and what a clever maneuver that was I I feel I feel I did conclude that I felt that he was on um but he it was absolutely like sort of like a weird pivot like he pushes off with his left foot and he has his uh he has his right foot um mm. mm-hmm. bolted to the spot or, or or held down on the spot like he's watching the new cowboy bebop episode where there's a, a, a uh <laughs> Bomb triggered if he moves his foot. Deep and there deep is because differences here, <laughs> and he and there is because uh, uh, because fry uh, because fry got hit for the same thing, but that was a very clever. If we're going to talk about you know clever clever maneuvers, that was one that that for for every amount it looked like he had jumped early, and he did jump early, but he jumped early extremely legally. Okay.
0: I'll I'll take that. <laughs> I, think, I didn't look at it I with quite not... the same microscope. But of course, one thing that is under the microscope that I feel like we should talk about in this game because it's 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 noteworthy um, is the shit from David Ochoa through this whole game. He gets booked <laughs> early on for probably should have been booked early on for time wasting. I think he was, um, but like just uh, the the antics were clear. There was much to do on Twitter this morning because as David <laughs> Ochoa walks off and the crowd is booing him, he's shushing them the whole way down the tunnel and everyone's going, that is disrespectful, unsportsmanlike." I'm like, yes. Is it is it classy? No. Is it completely unnecessary? Yes.
1: Um, he screams at Kellen Rowe in a way that is... Incredibly inflammatory.
0: <laughs> yeah. And also, and I know that this is a thing that he's done before, but also, your RSL going against the Sounders in a playoff game, you don't even have a club owner, you've got nothing to lose. <laughs> you lo- then, right before kickoff, you lose your captain, you lose your strongest player. You find a way to get your team over the line, and I don't for a second believe... I know Stefan Fry is not this kind of goalkeeper, but I don't for a second believe that if roles were reversed, the Sounders would be, like, you know, not singing a different tune. And I know it's just a few people on Twitter, and that's okay. But, like, it, it sucks. I hate this kind of behavior. I don't want to condone it necessarily. But in this kind of big game, to, to have the cramps and to... <laughs> wind up the crowd and to get under the skin of players. I actually felt like Seattle's players on the field dealt with it really well and didn't let it get under their skin too much. Uh, But RSL needed, they unsettled Seattle and and they played a physical game, they played a staunch defensive game, and and Seattle didn't come up with the answers. I don't think that despite all the insane things that aligned to allow RSL to win this game, they won this game. They beat Seattle. You know, (laughs) Seattle could not find a way past them and I I think the result is a fair one.
1: Between this and the handball call against Sporting Kansas City, I feel like I'm getting the vibe off of uh, RSL fans that they are... They have no compunction against being the heels here. <laughs> totally. They will be... They will be the villains if they feel... And why... If, if, if they...
0: And who can, Like, why wouldn't you? Like, I just... You know. <laughs> find me a person who can honestly say they would approach this any differently. Like, you just...
1: <laughs> You're literally playing against
0: the best team in the league. Just, you you got to do what you got to do. And, and players who probably have never earned a yellow card in their careers... Well, I'm not so sure about that. But, like, you know, RSL got stuck in here and, and did what needed to be done. And, again, not my favorite tactic in the world, but, like, an argument of, like, well, Ochoa should have been off and RSL should have been down a player and they should have had to have a backup goalkeeper. Like, come on. Seriously? I, I mean... We've seen goalkeepers get red carded in this league, but not often for just shit Let me
1: read some uh let me read some results off to you and you okay. tell me how you think about them. Sure. Um and, and, and we'll both we'll both share we'll like you know <laughs> fully break it down. but We'll both share brief thoughts. Um Colorado hosts Portland on November 25th,
0: tomorrow night. Um Oh, I have to start with the hardest one. Um I think Colorado. I think Colorado is set up a little bit better. I think they're a little bit more decisive in what they're doing defensively. Um, I think Portland will score goals. Can Uh. Portland beat Colorado? Yes. I do think it's within Portland Timbers' makeup to win this game, but it is going to have to be all hands on deck. I still think Colorado is going to do it
1: who is the genius that scheduled a playoff game for two thirty pm on a weekday on in local time yeah I know. <laughs>
0: like, we would we just want to ensure nobody sees this
1: game <laughs> it's not even good for the east it's it's four thirty on the east coast it's not good for anyone i don't know i don't um know. but yeah i i would say that uh I would agree that Portland has it in them to win it. I think that for a lot of people that weren't were you know checked out or or, or not necessarily big Western Conference watchers, they ended the the year thinking Colorado, um, and this is certainly their opportunity to to exercise the the position that they've got themselves into. And, and as much as you're right that. that Portland can't win a game like this is is there time to to step up of uh, the rapids and, and say well we've got a team that works we've got um we've got great players and they're not going to be able to come to our location and uh, and, and get the win
0: yeah one and uh, one of the things that I look at too is like the goal differences throughout the season just defensively I mean Portland allowed 52 goals Colorado allowed 35. Doesn't mean much in the playoffs, I know. But it does tell me a little bit about how the teams are set up, right? And and we saw with Portland. Like, Portland can win. Absolutely. They do win. They usually give up goals as well. And that's the part that I think is, is going to make the difference in that one.
1: There is this thought. I, I do slightly have a, uh, a concern that, you know, they really could... um The only thing is we always talk... Of when there are buys does, right. does the buy hurt or help the team in some, in some cases it helps but because everybody gets a chance to rest up but I mean I think the Whitecaps were affected by by stopping for two weeks yeah you know and I don't think that everybody I think that some of the results that we've had in this playoff amount some of the one goal games um, denote tiredness in just sort of a deep tissue sure you know uh, well, especially when you're this... playing a
0: slug-out fest with Philadelphia and Red Bulls. Like, <laughs> tiredness is there because they beat the shit
1: out of each other. But I feel good about Colorado on this. Um, on Sunday, a time when it makes more sense for the games to be uh, <laughs> earlier on the weekday. Sunday, Sunday, in Sunday. Sporting Kansas City hosts Real Salt Lake. Yeah. Um, that, was, that one is uh, certainly an intriguing clash. I would again... Uh, you know it all comes back you know they have a chance now to renew their uh, to renew this game from the (laughs) rematch this game from the end of the season here's my question uh, to you do you see any more goals in it than we got in the original
0: (laughs) probably yeah Um, this one's it's so hard to say obviously my little chaos demon heart wants to say RSL I just think that you know what we saw SKC do to Vancouver I don't think they're going to have too much difficulty doing to RSL um I'm not sure if Rusnak will be available to be back I'm assuming probably not because um, that's only five days away um but I guess if he tests pop negative maybe um I just think like, Sporting Kansas City again is the better team here Of course, Seattle, quote-unquote, was the better team. So, (laughs) I'll say this. I would really love a Rocky Mountain Cup showdown for the conference finals, so RSL. I want RSL to win. I don't necessarily think they will, but I would like them to.
1: I thought they were completely off-form heading into the regular season clash, and I thought supporting Kansas City was going to deal with them, and I was wrong. And I thought that Seattle was going to deal with them, and I was wrong. And I'll be wrong again, because I'm saying Sporting Kansas City. Except that, hopefully not. Yeah.
0: Yeah, right? Like, we're all, we're all thinking the same thing. We're like, <laughs> probably not, but hopefully. <laughs> okay, New England, New York City FC. This is the one that I'm the most excited about. Um, who do you... What, what do you got? Who do you got? How does this go? Now,
1: I was going to say that I was confident enough about New England that I don't necessarily think they're going to have that by... You know the by lull, um, but I guess it is a little concerning. It's a little concerning that um, you know that they that New York City is a team that's in form that has not really um, belied a lot of um, weaknesses. Yeah, and uh, and and they are going to be coming up against uh, in. in and even though New England has been very good, this is this is I think the hardest task that you could have in these semifinals to come off against a, to come up against a New York City team that's firing on all cylinders and that's doing great. That being said, New England very good playing at home, playing at home in the playoffs. Um, I am going to put my hopes towards them because I know that that'll be that'll be an exciting result if it happens, but. But it's uh that's dicey. That's gonna be a that's gonna be quite the contest um on Tuesday.
0: Yeah. I mean for what it's worth, uh New England has the slight advantage this season over uh New York City FC. New York City did beat them in August. Um so it it home field advantage advantage seems to be the decider. But they only met three times remarkably this season. So I, I think it's all there. New York City, I think, has the slight advantage coming into this one with the most recent win. Um, You know, New England's last game, they lost to Inter-Miami. I think mentally they will be able to shake that one off, but they are not coming in fresh or, uh, like, in the flow of things. They are coming in fresh, hopefully. Um, But cold. Yeah. But it's always
1: cold in New England in November.
0: It's always cold. I... I, I... (laughs) I'm interested to see what will happen, but I think New England is a more disciplined team. Um so I think yeah, if they do their defensive work right, I think New England can still win this one.
1: Um there has there I did hear a little bit of saber rattling earlier but by uh Nashville about how they're they're how in any other league in the country they would be coming back or in the world they would be coming back to play Philadelphia given that um given that they have the higher they're tied on points and they have the higher goal difference now um obviously that is a very you know obviously there are stakes to that because sure. um the home team has won so often in yeah. these uh in these playoffs only RS, RSL is the only away team to buck the trend um but, you know, as it stands, it's Philadelphia is the one in that position and, and I you know I think that I'm a little bit more leaning in their direction. They're the they're the ones, you know, I feel like they were they're they're a perennial feel good candidate and and um they're playing at home. I I think as long as they can stay consistent and can execute they can make it to the conference finals. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree with all those things, and I think this is going to be our departure of opinions. I think Nashville might win this one. Mm. I, I like Philadelphia. Obviously, we never count them out. Uh, they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the league defensively. They're incredibly sound. Uh, I think, obviously, we've got two strong defensive sides facing each other. I just feel like Nashville has a little bit more of that it factor. And I know Philadelphia is not without, or uh, like they certainly don't lack talent either. But when I see things that Mukhtar can do, and granted Orlando maybe gave him a bit too much space, but I mean, Mukhtar really does seem to score at will uh, and, and excels in big games. So I agree. Like if Philadelphia brings it and they play like Philadelphia and they play um they're they're more clinical and they're finishing as well sure absolutely i think there's stronger favorites here, but again, after this performance against Red Bulls, I kind of go um i'm not so sure <laughs> i'm really not I think Nashville might win this one
1: um there was a unfortunate story in in the world of n w s l which you know they had their championship um washington spirit um 1-2 two, nothing 2-1 two, against the Chicago Red Stars the final. Mm-hmm. Um and then the day after that uh we have had another story about um abuse by uh, allegations of abuse by an NWSL coach and, and this time it's 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 sort of like emotional abuse in a coaching relationship which is a story we've heard a lot both in, in out of women's soccer. Mm-hmm. Um this year it was uh the the allegations were against uh, Rory Dames that he had been sort of in emotionally abusive in his relationships with his players and, and um, while not sexually misconducty, y uh, you know, some of those might have been inappropriate um, things to say to somebody that you employ. Um,
0: it should also be pretty blatantly fucking obvious, like, as a, just a professional in any job, what, mm-hmm. to, like, there's... It's really not that difficult to know what you can't say, like and 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 how to act like it and I'm not trying to say that to diminish the allegations at all, but just to say like, I, I think it's like... And I know you're not making this point either, but like to the, in, to the degree that of like when we have a discussion around like the degrees of harm, it's like it's all harmful. It all shouldn't be there. Why is there so much of it in NWSL? And why do these coaches keep just getting shuffled around?
1: I think That's the this point one, I'm
0: ineloquently trying to make.
1: There's a couple of, there's a couple of parts here. Um, the, the pieces being pu- shuffled around is a big one. This is like the Paul Riley situation, a protagonist coach in this league. Mm-hmm. Someone that is a big personality that everybody who covers it and everybody who watches it is like aware of as a character you know and yeah. and and the nwsl specific parts of that are like a lack of accountability the fact that players went to um allegedly went to authority figures and were told oh that's just his deal you know he's just a he's just a passionate guy or he's just a tough coach or whatever. Um, there is a, a part of that I think that ties in um, with the Gaby Heinz stuff with the water that we talked. Like you know, the just just the just the idea of abusive coaching tactics. Yeah, you know, I think that that there is that play into that that oh, that is changing overall. But there is also, especially this this paternalistic coaching attitude in among some male women soccer coaches, where you see. You know the, the like the allegations. Some of the some of the allegations of behavior. It's like you know um, a player uh, a player asks. You know a player is having a tough time and, and asks for the weekend off um, because they usually get the weekend off if they play on Saturday. Um, and they're playing in our hometown of New York. And the coach says, uh, "I don't know. I'll let you know." And then the game happens. It goes badly. The coach says, "You're flying back to Chicago with us," and then go, gets to makes her fly home, makes her fly to her away from her family, and then says, "I'm giving you all the week off, the weekend off, just to torture, just to torture people." You know, like, it's like so c- fucked up. Like it's just
0: I like still unconscionable. Like that, it's just so obviously a complete ego trip. Like there's no even semblance of taking the job seriously and, and trying to ugh, it just
1: Allegations that he benched a player after she got a boyfriend because you know, he's saying that it's it's taking away from her time with the team and it means that him and the player don't connect enough Great. that he would text players at 11.38pm asking them about the lineups and, and have uncomfortable you know, uncomfortable off hours discussions or or with them, and this is the point where it's like that's it's not exactly it's not the same as is the Paul Riley situation, but it's still extre- it's, it still feels extremely inappropriate.
0: It's often also a precursor to worse yeah. things. So like, and this is exactly the point the players are constantly trying to make is like, look, we can deal with it now when something inappropriate is happening before somebody like really gets hurt. And obviously people did get hurt, but like the, the same old lines that get tossed out from clubs and leagues and commissions and investigations. It's like people are doing the things that you're asking for them to do constantly. You, you have to take action. You cannot just keep requiring more people to retell their stories again and again and again looking at you Canada soccer <laughs> like just own up and fix the fucking problem and get rid of these people like what how what PR thing are you avoiding like what you clearly are not doing even that part so you might as well just focus on player safety and trust when players come to you with these complaints and take them seriously, because somebody who's doing shit like that shouldn't be working
1: anywhere. The desire of the desire of the players is, is to add to this push for, for a more independent, you know, dispute resolution. Um, I wonder if you could legitimately get, you know, there's been talk about, you know, creating bodies to create independent, um, to create independent dispute regu- resolutions. I don't want to take away people's legal right to to bring actual criminal or civil suits in these situations. Mm -hmm. But I wonder whether or not like having a court for sport is where we have to be moving towards.
0: I feel like that's what people have been saying is that without that, you just can never be sure. And what you can be sure, you can be sure that absolutely nothing is going to be done in the interest of player safety. And I mean, I don't think that's unfair to say. Like, we've got receipts from literally every single time this happens.
1: The story, yeah. It
0: gets gets pushed, it gets covered up, somebody will leave, but we won't really get any solid answers about what happened or what steps are being taken to avoid it happening again. And without an independent body to look at that, I'm not sure you can realistically expect we're ever going to get away from it.
1: And the story, you know, it's 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 clear about that you know, who was talked to and, and what the deal was. That that, you know, Kristen Press said she talked to Siddhokalati, the, the, the president of the US Soccer Federation in twenty fourteen and he said, That's just it's just who's this guy is. Yeah. The, the story does the story um by Molly Hensley Clancy does not uh does not mince any words. I think the thing that, that is sticking with me about it, you know, sort of what I can affect um, is the notion that this was playing out in front of us in terms of Kristen Press saying that she didn't want to play for them, you know, mm-hmm. putting her feet up, putting her foot down to try and force the trade, and being criticized for it by by fans and, and putting her out there to be criticized, and people were um people were out there, you know, criticizing or not knowing. Yeah. Not fully knowing the situation, or or not fully wanting to understand what she was saying, and the Chicago fan base, to their credit, has put out an apology on behalf of Chicago fans to say we did the way that we acted in that situation was not particularly handled well, and that's something that I've been thinking about a lot, um, especially because of how Sidney Larue was treated by Canadian fans and the mm-hmm. recent pieces about the piece that came out. Um, this week that, that suggested that one of the reasons why she did um, affect the, the switch from Canada to the U.S. was to get away from bullying from people like Bob yeah. Um, And there was awful, awful, you know, abuse of her for that choice. And oh, at that yeah. time, yeah. I, I think that one of the reasons for it was because people imported it from English men's football. Yeah. because they had heard stories of, you know, the idea that you give your pe- somebody on the other side of the rivalry stick. If, you know, the Manchester-Liverpool rivalry or the, the Arsenal-Tottenham rivalry stick, that's the thing you should do. And this is a team we're rivals of, and this player has switched. So obviously, like Owen Hargreaves, we're going to give her the absolute business.
0: But- I also think people forget, too, that like these people don't work for us.
1: No. <laughs> they work for these
0: clubs. We like people are like, oh I pay their wages. Like, no, you don't. You know, like the ownership group and, and all the advertising, that pays their wages. I mean, you might pay for like the groundsman's wages for a weekend, maybe, but the the players work for the club. The club is their employer. It's the employer's responsibility to protect their employees.
1: So I've been uh, think I've been thinking a lot about how uh Trying to not, trying to approach situations like this the next time they arise, and 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 consider, you know, what we could not have known at that time when it came to Larue, but like you know, it was, there was a lot of cruelty thrown her way when she was already going through something, and her she and her teammates were going through something that was already so challenging. Yeah. And and I feel really bad for that, and I feel bad for Kristen Press, and, and I just hope the next time that something like this comes up, where we learn about something, you know, I hope that I can I can take that and, and in my own behavior as a fan and as a commentator, um, make sure that the next time something like this happens, there is not a, you know, I don't just pile in,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, <laughs> and, and I yeah. try to keep space for that. And my, sorry, yeah, my sort of
0: like out of left field comment about the like, you know, the, it's the employer's job to protect their employees. The point I was originally trying to to make was that like, we have these certain expectations of players and yes. about loyalty and and where they're going to go in their actions, and we forget that they are people. They they are autonomous and they are able to make their own decisions about their own workplaces. And I think, yeah, you're right. Like, it, it makes me think a lot about when I'm hearing a player wanting to leave a club now in the future of, a, you know, any league, men or women, what are some of the influences behind that decision, you yeah. know? <laughs> and and it doesn't mean that we wildly speculate each time or, or anything like that. But just that that's sort of like, yeah, where's the, the sober second thought to maybe be like, hmm. What, what else could be going on here? Even just consider, like you say, the possibility that there might be other things at play and maybe going after a player uh, for their decisions is, is not the right thing to do. And I'm glad that there was a, an acknowledgement of that. But, hey, I mean, you also have to think, like, this is all, again, just the stuff that has come out. I'm sure there's lots of players who've re- received a lot of flack for making decisions for their own safety and... Um, you know, and just have to sit with that.
1: As a, I hope I hope that we can maybe get some, like Chicago did, get some some collective thought on my own. You know, as a Canadian fan, totally. I'm I'm sorry, Sidney Larue, that sucked. Yeah, that, that sucked, and we bad. shouldn't have done that to you. No. Nope. The, right. The uh, the last thing to uh, on our docket that we briefly discussed. Um, before well i mean we we have covered the game the mexico canada game uh until you know the, the all the all the conditions of the snow and then we yeah. we we ran off uh to 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 sit in front of it and and uh it was entertaining it was uh it featured iconic moments it's something that i have been I don't have the same network of of I, I feel like all the people in my life that I talk to soccer about talk about soccer with I talk about fairly regularly, yeah. Um, but I have people that do not text me, texting me about that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I feel like it's a good indication of where it like is registering the cultural <laughs> milieu of things. But yeah, man, what a game! What an absolutely special night i mean i just had my f- mouth open most of the time uh with it and you know like not without its its nervy moments um but god that one felt good just what a i mean i i don't even know what to say about it i know we've all had time to to watch it again and again and again especially at a Kube jumping into a snow pile <laughs> uh, I, it just it's it's it was a, a masterful game from canada um and we're sitting top of the table. Like just, just the the sheer magnitude of what they've been able to achieve, the consistency that they've had, the the fight that they have for each other. Um, it, it, it's so bizarre to me to just feel so confident in
1: this team. The first time in two, uh, I think it was, was it twenty one years that uh, Canada had gotten a result against Mexico, or the first time ever um I'm not a I, I'm trying to remember exactly what that was uh Kyle Laren scoring twice Mexico comes back and and scores and I heard that that was a very tense time yeah for everyone um I thought that Alistair Johnston did great to set up the first goal I thought Stefan dagio did great to set up the second goal and that's kind of what I was talking to people about when I mean there's a lot of talk about Davies and David and some of our key people and, and and it's interesting to me that the 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 centerpiece of the game was Laren a player who's been here a little bit longer than than everyone else but i think that the quality of support now yeah. is so yeah. much different than when Laren was in his peak mls years not that oh, he's I not in it. his peak now but but you know when he was when he was tearing it up at MLS, and you were thinking, "Okay, well, he's going to tear it up for us, right?" And then,
0: no, I, I, I would, I think this is his prime. I think he has finally hit his prime. I mean, I, look, I've said some things about Kyle Aaron over the years, um, and watching this game, yeah, I just had a big smile on my face because I, I feel like every criticism I've ever had against him, he's he's gone away and dealt with. Um, he's focused. He's professional, he's mature, he's clinical. Um, he, he was selfless. He took his opportunities when he needed to, I, I thought. He just, he's playing soccer like I think everybody always wanted and knew he could play, and you saw moments of here and there. But just, you know, there's personal stuff. I, I, I just think the change of scenery seemed to do him good, and he seems so bought in and focused um, with the national team. I don't know if which one it was that reinvigorated the other, but uh, I I feel great about it. He's he's having a
1: great time. He's doing great. Um You wanna talk about you wanna talk about housery? Uh <laughs> that that certainly was a part of it, I feel the you know the the uh the battling mentality was huge. Um the I liked the the Mexican press really were inward focused and they 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 seemed to recognize, you know, this was I felt that there was almost a respect for that end of it. You yeah. know? I think sometimes if you if you are you will see a North American team get housed against and then be like, mm, "That's not how to play the game." Yeah. But these guys, you know, they 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 recognize competition. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and and it may a pretty had a entertaining had uh,
0: A few aches and pains that seemed to just shoot out of nowhere <laughs> and made him go down for a bit. I, I mean, yeah, and again, it's how many times have we been on the receiving end of things um, in CONCACAF and and been you know, come out
1: the losers as well. Borian almost fought a guy like, after that after that Mexico goal. Like, so one of the, the, next... way,
0: the way it ended, and especially yes. the, like, a, as the game ended, I felt like Borean really needed to to calm down. Or, well, No, wait, no. He was grabbing players back, I believe. It was that instant he was all riled up. But after the game, there was just a tremendous amount of pushing. I don't know if there's going to be or was any discipline handed out after the fact. But it was just completely unnecessary, unprofessional. Sour grapes, I think, on both sides. Just tempers boiling over and a lot of pushing. Young players not being able to walk away from it. Cavallini, mm-hmm. of course, in the mix. Although I felt like overall, I mean, he was clearly basically brought on as an enforcer to just get under their skin and kill off the game. And I thought he did it effectively, but you know... Uh, to a point. It's like the final whistle's gone. If if you've got people <laughs> chirping at you then let them do that and Borean runs out and just starts yanking teammates away and going like, "Go celebrate with the fans. <laughs> like you've won the game. Why are it's you over. arguing with a team that you just beat?" Like there's no argument. We just we just had the argument for the last 90 minutes. Um but it is what it is. It's all fine. Um it happens in, in these matches And I think it's also all a bit For show as well I don't know that anybody's I know that emotions run high But I think a lot of it is like You know, you've just lost a game you got to show that you've got some fight in you, So you have a go at a couple of players And you, a bit of pushing and then it escalates I don't think it really came to too much But uh,
1: Now Great. Canada sits atop the table Great result uh, I don't necessarily think that, you know I don't think this makes Canada. I don't need to wring my hands over whether or not this makes Canada a soccer nation because we've been a soccer nation since the bronze, the women's team won bronze, twenty twelve. But, <laughs> but it certainly has changed it. It certainly has has been that head changing. Um, it was the first victory, Canada's first victory over Mexico in World Cup qualifying in forty five years. Certainly That's is changing good. opinions. I loved that the Canada, the black Canada soccer jersey was um <laughs> was listed by GQ as one of the items of hottest new men'swear <laughs> I love it in a list of 18 okay. items seemingly so that they could link the video of Sam atube jumping into a nothing but
0: I don't think I want to know how things go viral anymore but I and I know that there's some, <laughs> something going on with this one but I'm okay with it i I'll allow it
1: and also uh we've we've talked about this before there's great. You know, Steph Labbe is having is is out there on Twitter, being great at pointing out like where was where was Justin Trudeau when we were having the celebration tour in Ottawa, you know, mm-hmm. making that mm-hmm. making that point about the Canada being a soccer nation. I think that the one moment where the women's team and the men's team should really be in together is to say that jersey is sold out. It's the mm-hmm. exact same the 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 supply side issues on behalf of canada soccer and fanatics are simply not up to the task of the moments that these teams are getting themselves into just the the idea that no going like
0: the amount of maple syrup we could be hoarding here if we simply <laughs> increased exports of slick black canadian national jerseys anyway um, until next time, where can we find you online? You
1: can find me online on Twitter at teambaits, wwwteam Where can we find you?
0: You can find me on Twitter at thatswamls and on Instagram, thatswamls as well. You can listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You can also just go to com. And until next time, if you're losing and it's late in the game <laughs> maybe do get sent off i'm not sure but um but probably don't probably don't